Amen, 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 amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Miss Heidi, for your ministry to us today. Thank you, Miss Robin and Brother Eric and Caden for blowing hot air. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that. Amen. <laughs> We're coming up to Father's Day very soon. It's not a Father's Day message, but I have a lot of injections in this introduction about my father. I promise you all drive to a point here, but I had the wonderful privilege of being the son of Rich Zavadsky Sr. And uh, I say privilege too because uh, some of you may know, some of you may not know, I'm an, uh, I'm an adopted only child. And uh, so I say privilege. Um, it's a privilege. Obviously to be born into a family is a privilege of God, but to be adopted is a privilege also. Amen. So we have uh, some families in our church that are blended marriages. What a privilege you have to raise those kids. Amen. And uh, in this room today, outside of my mom and my wife, I don't believe any of you knew my father at all, not one bit. And uh, what a precious man he was. And he worked hard at a job that he did not like for 35 years to provide for my mother and I. From the time he was 17 years old to the time he was 52 and the shop closed, he worked at the same place. And uh, just, again, to do what he had to do. And then after that, he got another job uh, in town, but had to have a very serious heart surgery, had to have the pig valve uh, done, after which he came back to work and he was let go not long after. Then, as a 60-year-old man, this hard-working, precious man would drive an hour to pack Yankee candles because that's the only job he could get at the time. And matter of fact, his work ethic actually led to his death. You say, why is that? My mom knows this. He, uh, he got walking pneumonia. But he was of a sort that we have many in this room, and I don't fault you for it. I actually wish we had more folks that were like this, but he was of the sort you don't take a day off from work, especially when you just have a job that, quote-unquote, anybody could do. So he wouldn't take a day off, and he ended up getting walking pneumonia in one lung turned into pneumonia and then double pneumonia, and then pleurisy. And then he was in ICU for a couple of weeks. We thought he was getting better, and he ended up having a minor stroke and then a massive stroke and took his last earthly breath on December 1st, 2009. I had been the pastor here at Loomis Park Baptist Church for a grand total of three days. Three days. Remember, we had a, a great first Sunday, Miss Judy, and I preached on why we ought to forgive. Church had been through some difficult times in those previous months, and that was a purposeful message, why we ought to forgive and move on. And then in the evening, remember Brother Sammons was chairman of the deacons, and we had those precious deacons, some of whom are gone on to glory. 
And Dr. Harry Carr came and preached. And he did the installation service, my dear friend. And I remember, I remember things he said to me. And I remember things he said to the congregation. I remember when he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, your children will come and interrupt your study. He said, you'll be in the office and little ones will come in and want to climb on your lap. And Brother Town, he said, let them. Because there will always be messages to prepare, but there will only be so many days when your children will climb in your lap. I'm personally glad now that Eric does not climb in my lap. <laughs> Amen. But I also remember when he said to the congregation, as a younger pastor, I was 37 at the time, 51 now, he said, call him pastor. Call him preacher. Call him brother. But don't call him by his first name. You say, what was he trying? Are you against somebody calling you by your first name? No, not at all. He was trying to say, respect the office. Respect the office. I'll never forget that and had that first service. And then I think about how extremely gracious a new church was to a brand new pastor. I just got here and then I had to head back to New England. See, I got to see my dad just before he took his last breath and take care of the arrangements and I want to just say this to those of you that, that grieve. There was, for me, there was no closure. None. Closure is when I see his face again. There was, no, there, there was really, for me, and again, I'm, I'm not, and it's not a woe is me part. I promise you, I'm driving to a point here. For me, there was no time to grieve. I had 170 people to get to know and love and pastor. I just didn't have time for that. Amen? And you may say, well, you should have took time. Well, okay, you know, but... You know what I miss most about my dad? I miss his presence. I miss his presence. How many of you could say the same about your mom or, or a child that you've lost or a spouse? You, you just miss the fact. I think about quirky things my dad would do. and he, he, we, we have a little Keurig machine and, and ours has like this little spot where you can make cappuccino and all that. And my dad always used to say to my wife, he, we would have a nice meal and he'd look at her, Miss Kim, and he'd say, Cappy? Meaning, do you want a cappuccino? My dad he became this quote-unquote world-renowned cappuccino maker, which it's not that hard. You just go put it in and, you know, it fills up and all that. But he would say, Cappy, I just, I miss his presence. Each Father's Day comes around. I, I can't take him out for dinner. Uh, different times where we, we just got to be with each other. I miss that. I miss his presence. I think about Dr. Carr, who I just mentioned. I miss him. I miss Brother Horsch sitting right there where he should be. I miss Brother Casabo and his bad jokes, Miss Carlita. Bad jokes. Not bad in the sense that, you know, rude or evil or anything, just bad, like not funny. But when he told them, you gave him the old ho 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 ho. Amen. Miss Don, I miss Dave Williams. I miss Dave. 
Just miss his presence. That goofy guy. He was goofy. Loved him. I miss Lowell McGee. Amen? I just miss their presence. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the attributes of God is what we call his omnipresence. You say, what is that? That means God is everywhere. You read Psalm chapter 139, and the psalmist says, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? And he goes through several things, and he basically comes to the idea that there's nowhere that I can go that you aren't there, God. And God has promised his presence to his people. You say, what do you mean by that, pastor? When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into you to take up his permanent residence. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. After ye trusted, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30 says you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed by the Spirit unto the day of redemption. And it's, it's probably best amplified in the, the beloved verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says that let, uh, let your conversation or your manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. We have the promise of his presence. There's another verse that reminds us today in this gathering of His people. And by the way, when I say His people, this is what I mean. People that have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, who were born not after the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. I'm talking about born-again people, people that have asked Christ to be their Savior. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26. And you know what He promised us? He promised us where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. You get two or three Christians together, and Jesus Christ promised His presence. You know what else he said? Love this. After he gave us the great commission, after he gave his disciples the great commission, he said, he said to them, Brother Hutchins, before he gave it to them, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he said, go ye, into, go ye and into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. But then you know what he said after that? He said, and know this, lo, I am with you Always, even unto the end of the world, amen. So I'm, I am glad, and when I say glad, I mean scripturally glad for the promise of his presence. And, and, and by the way, I'll take the promise of his presence any day. We were just talking in Sunday school. Miss Karina asked such a great question. Uh, for those of us that have been saved a while, uh, sometimes we just look past this. But Brother Mike, she said, who wrote the Bible? Well, that, forgive me, that blew up our whole class. Brother Eric, we didn't get to the lesson. Amen. 
And we went through and, and we talked about how Peter uh, makes the argument in, in uh, First Peter or Second Peter, rather, chapter one, where he says, "Look, we haven't, we haven't followed cunningly devised fables here. We were eyewitnesses to the glory of the Lord. We saw it with our own eyes, but then he said this, "But we have a more sure word of prophecy." Wherein do you do well that you take heed? And remember what he said? Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I'll take his promise anytime. Because my feelings are all over the map. Amen? Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. However, however, those of us who have the promise of His presence long for the experience of His presence. Forgive me, I am not demeaning the Word of God at all. You know me, I love this book. But I, who believe this book and believe it's from God, need more than just words on a page sometimes. Again, words on the page are what I depend on. God gave them to me. But I not only want the promise of His presence, I want to dwell in the experience of His presence. Not that the experience nullifies the Word. Actually, what it does is it amplifies the Word. In this text, it's a great text really leading up to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7. It, it has to do with the, the building of the temple. The building of the temple here. and You find in chapter 2, uh, you find uh, the preparation uh, of the building of the temple. In, and then chapters 3, 4, and 5, you had the construction and uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have the dedication. That, that kind of brings us to, to where we are right now. And then uh, if you look at <clears throat> verse uh, 1 uh, there, it, it brings us in our... It says, when Solomon had made an end of praying. This, this prayer of dedication that he made. Something happens here. And it says this, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, we understand this is Old Testament. This is a very specific time, dedication of the temple. Didn't happen all the time, okay? But what we have here is a manifestation for all to experience and see of the presence of God. That God was pleased with not only the construction of the temple, the preparation of the temple, the dedication of the temple. He's pleased. Allow me, if I could, to read a note. <coughs> Excuse me. Read a note from a study Bible. The idea here, as the glory of the Lord fills the temple, 
This is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the Shekinah glory of God. It had been with Israel at Sinai. It had gone with them <clears throat> through the wilderness wanderings. It had led them into the promised land, although it would later leave the temple, it would return to the millennial temple and to his redeemed people Israel. However, before that future day, God again tabernacled among his people in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You say Jesus Christ was the literal manifestation of God's presence. He was God in the flesh, in all God's people said. Who, having secured man's redemption, now dwells within the believer. That's the Spirit of God. Whom He has taken into union with Himself. Ultimately, all believers will enjoy God's presence throughout eternity. The glory of the Lord had filled both tabernacle and temple at their inauguration. This reminds us of a different time. When the church came to be in Acts chapter 2. Which many charismatics take and twist and turn but what happened, Brother Hutchins, was the presence of God was unmistakable. Remember that rushing mighty wind that came through? If you've ever had a rushing mighty wind come about you, it's pretty unmistakable. I want to talk to you this morning, Lord willing, preach to you on... The unmistakable presence of God in a church and what it will produce. I think about that song that I sung this morning, Somebody Touched Me. Again, only my mom and my wife amongst our congregation today know what I was before the presence of God touched my life. Before I experienced his touch and longed for his presence. Can I tell you this? No lost person longs to be in the presence of God. I didn't. No way. Why? Because God's holy and he's just and he's righteous. But thank God he's also loving, compassionate, forgiving. I want to talk to you about this subject, the unmistakable presence of God. Number one, look at verse number two. And, and all, our, all our points are different, and, and uh, it's, they start with A. I've just got uh, four points here and then some applications. Number one, you see in verse uh, two there. Thank you, Pastor Alex. Amen. I'm up here. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that. There's nothing like lukewarm water. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, Pastor Alex knows that, amen? He's, a, he's a, uh, It's actually, the cold water is about the worst thing for you when you're, ah, amen? But lukewarm water still just doesn't 
Yeah, amen. Look at verse 2, please. After verse 1 where it says there that the, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord. Why? Because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Can I tell you when the unmistakable presence of God, and, and, and I want it on our church, I, I think to a point we have it, but we could have more of it. I'll tell you what, there's a different atmosphere, number one. There's a different atmosphere. Think about these priests that would uh, come in, do their, do their job day after day after day after day after day after day after day, and they come to this dedication to this temple, and they get ready to go in and do their thing, and Brother Hillman, they can't enter in. They have to stop. As the Shekinah glory, I love that graphic Miss Heidi came up with. As the Shekinah glory permeated the house, it was a different atmosphere. You know, I've, I've had people tell me, and by the way, I'm glad that people tell me this. I've had people tell me, you know, something different about this place. I've been in a lot of churches, people will say. But there's something different here. And I will say, praise God. Because He's the one that's different. He's, he's lifted up. I think about diff people in the Bible that experience the presence of God. Remember Moses? When he went up on the mount? And by the time he came back down, it says his face shone. His countenance shone. To the point where he actually was veiled after that. What was the difference? The presence of God. Hey, remember Saul, that Christian killer who was on the road to Damascus in chapter 9? You know what happened, Miss Marilyn? He experienced the presence of God in his life. And it changed him. He was going to destroy Christians and he ended up being the greatest Christian missionary that we have ever known. What was that? It was the presence of God. A different atmosphere. A different atmosphere. How about Matthew? I think about Matthew, where it says, Jesus passed. And he said to Matthew, Levi, at the receipt of custom, a tax collector stealing money from his own people for the Romans. He said, come follow me. Think about those blind men when Jesus passed by. Those two blind men that said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And there's such a great passage, and I think it's in the 10th chapter of Mark, where it says, and Jesus stood still. What a, what, a, what a sermon that is, Brother Swaffer, amen. Jesus stood still. What happened? They received their sight. Why? The presence of God. Oh, mercy. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, every church can have an atmosphere of the presence of God. You know why? Because we have the promise of His presence. He said, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. Oh, we could go on. We could think about the church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. 
Now, I'm, I'm all for loving the people in the world. But I'll tell you what, if we don't start with loving one another in the church, then we'll never love the people of the world. Unmistakable presence of God. Number one, there's a different atmosphere. Number two, look at verse number three. Verse number three. It says, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. Not only is there a different atmosphere, there's a different attitude. You know what we see here? We see humility. Humility. Lord willing, talk about these verses next week, but I think about the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember the Pharisee thought of how good he was. And he actually told God how good he was. And the publican, who by the way recognized the fact that he was a sinner, said, wouldn't even lift up his eyes toward heaven and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a different attitude when you experience the presence of God and it is an attitude of humility. By the way, it doesn't mean, again, I'm giving away our next week's message. I'm preaching on the sin of pride next week. It's two, two sides of the same coin. It's the, it's the Pharisee, but it's also those that are normalizing sin. But I want to promise you, you experience the presence of God, you will realize very quickly that you are not God. And He is. And it won't be this. It'll be this. I like how it says, not only did they fall on their faces, but it actually says they're on the pavement. You know what that means, Brother Anderson? All the way down. Show me a church, show me a person who has humility. And humility is, as I heard a great definition years ago, humility is not thinking less of self, humility is not thinking of self. You see it right here. There's a different atmosphere. There's a different atmosphere. They couldn't just go, go through the motions. There's a different attitude. Humility. I think about, again, think about Moses when he said, I'll go, I'll go, I'm gonna go check out that bush that's burning and it's not consumed. And he came and God began to speak to him. He said, Moses, Moses, and what did he say? He said, Take your shoes off. Because I'm here. This is holy ground. And I saw recently. A preacher, right before he walked up on the platform, and I thought it was a little odd, but it's okay. Brother Majors, he took his shoes off as he went up to preach. He took his shoes off. He just put his shoes right there, and he went up to preach. 
And his whole idea was that that's holy. Right there. I'm about to expound that book. That's a holy place. There's the humility of Moses. Hey, again, talking about Saul on the Damascus Road. Remember, God humbled him. And what did he say? Lord, what will thou have me to do? Humility. Humility. I think about Isaiah. Isaiah said, woe is me. When, when he saw God high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. Remember Peter? When he fished all night, this experienced fisherman, he fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus, who was not an experienced fisherman, said, cast your net on the right side. And Peter said, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word. I'll give you a modern translation. We'll give it a shot. Because you said so. And then they caught so many fishes that the net break had to have his partners come and help him and all that. Remember what he said to Jesus when he came down? He fell down on his knees and said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. You know what he recognized? The presence of God was right in front of him. Presence of God. Different atmosphere. A different attitude. How about verses 3 through 5? When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, and they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And it tells us in verse 5 of how the amount of sacrifices that Solomon made, 20 and 2,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of the Lord. So we have a different atmosphere we have a different attitude. And in verses 3 through 5, we see a different action or actions. What's that? What do we see there? Well, the first thing we see is worship. See, I think we've got the wrong idea in this day and age of quote-unquote praise and worship. And we have both of these in this text. But there's an or that goes along with that where it's just a, a swaying, you know, forgive me, lighters at the concerts kind of thing. I just put my hands up and there's nothing wrong with raising your hands in worship. Nothing. Nothing. Wonderful. Worship is reverential obedience. If you will look up worship in the Scriptures you will find that it is reverential obedience. It is obeying God because He is God. Not because I agree with Him. Though a true worshiper will agree with Him. We see a reverential obedience. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
So there's worship. What else is there in this text? They worshipped him. They were in awe of him. But there's also praise at the end of verse 3. They worshipped and praised the Lord. For what? For his goodness and his mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it, and it says there, I would say this, not only for His goodness and His mercy, but for His eternal goodness and mercy. There's a different action when you have the presence of God. There's true heartfelt worship. There have been times where I've been mowing and been just filled with such gratitude toward God where if somebody drove by, they think, that guy's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's a technical term, amen? In the psychiatric community, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, amen? Just plain nuts, as it says in the far side. <laughs> where where I, I've got my hand up, and I'm supposed to be, Brother Mike, cutting a straight roll. And I'm... <laughs> be like the time when I bumped into a hornet's nest out there on my mower. I came around a, a building and, and all of a sudden I, was like, and I was like on the mower like this, amen? Just People thought, that guy is crazy. Hey, remember what they said about the apostles? Remember what they said? These men are full of new wine. There's a bunch of drunks. And Peter said, we're not drunk. We've experienced the presence of God. There's praise. There's worship. Verses 4 and 5, there's sacrifice. I remember coming early on at Loomis Park Baptist Church, and I remember somebody had asked me, I can't remember who, somebody had asked me in that first when we were candidating, is there anything about our church you would change? And Brother Tom, I think about that. I, I really think it was a question in regards to would I change the culture of, of the church. It was a great question. Great question for a new pastor. Are you going to go contemporary on us? Because we don't want that. And the time to find that out is at the beginning. And I said, I don't think... I said, I don't think I would change much. I was like, you know, things are pretty sound. I said, but I, but I remember saying, but I would change your literature. Remember we had bulletins that looked like they were from about 1985. <laughs> and it was just time to change those, amen? Time to update, things like that. But I remember in my heart after I had been here just a little bit, I remember thinking, you know, thank God for the people that have come before us, the people that have taking such good care of these facilities and property and all that, and not only taking care of it, but paid it off. You know, they had a mortgage all those years ago, so that we were able to have staff and all that. But I remember thinking, every church has different problems, but one that's a problem is thinking this. There's no need to sacrifice. Because we have all this. So, so we have it already. Then God began to burden us 
in the area of missions. I think about, ladies and gentlemen, I think about, forgive me, you can, I mean, you can look around. There could be more people here, absolutely. We have balcony, all that. But this little group right here, $125,000 to missions last year. You know what that is? That's worship, praise, and sacrifice all rolled into one right there. And it's, it's different actions. And you know what it is? It's the presence of God. God is the one who burdens us to give to missions. The preacher, yeah, I can beat the drum, amen, but there's a lot of preachers that beat the drum and nothing happens. But when God gets in it, there's different actions. So there's different atmosphere. When the unmistakable presence of God is there, there's different attitude. There's different actions. Miss Joanne, you want some lukewarm water? Amen. <laughs> I think the cough drop will probably help you more. Amen. And then lastly, look at verse number six, please. This is great. It's all right here in the text. It says, And the priests waited on their offices, the Levites also with the instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because His mercy endureth forever, when David praised by their ministry. And the priests sounded the trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. when the unmistakable presence of God will produce a different atmosphere. It'll produce a different attitude. It'll produce a different action or actions. It'll produce a different agreement. You say, what's that here, Pastor? Everybody was involved in some fashion. Everybody was involved. I'm so thankful. Listen, there can be churches where they can busy themselves out of the presence of God. There can be churches where you organize. I, listen, I am a man of order. I think a pastor should be a man of order. I think all things should be done decently in order. Our business meetings are orderly. Our deacons meetings are orderly. Our services are orderly. But sometimes... We need to recognize that the presence of God is there and just take off our shoes a little bit. And you know what will happen? People will get involved. People will get involved. You know, there are always ministry needs in a church like this. Always. If, you don't, if you're a member of this church and you don't have a ministry, I promise you there are ministries that could use you. What happened here? Brother Rick, everybody got involved. Everybody did their part. Not everybody can sing a solo. I've heard some people that probably shouldn't sing solos. <laughs> Uncle Joe is waving in the balcony right now. Amen. See, that's where I like Uncle Joe to sing. On a hill far away. Amen. Right there. Amen. But you listen to me. That's an old joke between Uncle Joe and I, amen. But you listen to me. 
there's always something that can be done. We're going to talk about it tonight when we look at this idea of the doorkeeper. Involvement. There's a different agreement. Let me give you an application. What can keep us individually, our family, and the family of God here at Loomis Park Baptist Church, what can keep Him from manifesting His presence? Now, we have the promise of His presence, amen? We have it. We're talking about experiencing the manifestation here. Simple. It's a bunch of S's. Sin. Number one, sin. Personal sin, family sin, corporate sin. This is why I have such a problem, and I will not back down. I have such a problem with June. It is the promotion of sin. I will not back down. I won't. You know why? Sin is a killer of the presence of God. Number two, self. Why, was God, why would God want to manifest His presence when you're so busy manifesting yours? Self. Self, self leads to selfishness. Amen? Which is, again, antithetical toward sacrifice, toward worship, toward praise, towards humility. Oh, it goes without saying, Satan. Amen? Sin, self, Satan. How about slander? What's that? Talking untruly about another. How about this one? Again, just staying with the S's. A skewed glance toward my brother or sister. A, a, a judgmental attitude toward my brother or sister. I read this quote from A.W. Tozer. And I want you to think about it as we close said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church of Acts, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, personally, parentally, family, corporately as a church, we need to experience the unmistakable presence of God. Maybe you're not experiencing it right now. If my people which are called by my name, to humble themselves. Pray, God, I need your presence. I know you're there, because you told me you are. I need to experience your presence. Pray and seek my face. How do we seek his face? In his word. And turn 
from their wicked ways. Each one of us, I don't care if you have sins of the heart or sins of the flesh, they need to be turned from, not encouraged and celebrated. They need to be turned from. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. See, he had just given them an experience of what heaven did when fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. That was that manifestation of the presence of God. He said, in essence, Brother Merklinger, he said, I'll let you experience my presence. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we need it. We need it. Your family needs it. This church needs it. Jackson needs us to have it. People across the world. You know, you know what happens when the presence of God dries up? You know what else dries up? The finances. And you know what happens to missionaries without finances? They come off the field. We need it. People across the world need us to have it. Forgive me, we need missionaries to come in and say, this place is experiencing the presence of... Not so we can do this. That has nothing to do with it. What has everything to do with it is we are called, we have a mission from God, we have a mandate from God. It requires the power of God for us to do it. We need His presence. Amen. Father, bless us now. Please.